Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. Anywhere you are watching, we appreciate you. We talk the ACC, the University of Virginia football, basketball, and all their sports teams, and of course, anything college sports related. And we are so very, very excited for today's interview. Thomas Jones on the line today. Uh, a UVA standout that I think needs absolutely no introduction, a UVA graduate, a man who made his living in the National Football League for a long, long time, and a man who has found a stellar career in Hollywood with TV, with acting, with movies, just an absolute rock star in anything he does. The man has the Midas touch. Judah Wickhauer is our director. Jerry Ratcliffe is the star of the program, and Hootie Ratcliffe, you have a guy on the line here that I am absolutely so very excited to chat with. Oh, absolutely, Jerry. Um, I, I go way back with Thomas Jones when he was still in high school at Powell Valley down in southwest Virginia. And um, he was trying to decide where he was going to school, and Virginia fans were holding their breath, hoping he would come here. Uh, he had already committed, I think, to Notre Dame and with Tennessee wanted him. Uh, everybody wanted him, and uh, he was just uh, a fabulous high school running back that uh, Virginia saw that he could become uh, a superstar. And even even Tiki Barber told me back in those days that Thomas Jones would break every rushing record at Virginia by the time he was through. And, and Tiki was very prophetic because Thomas did just that. He broke all of Virginia's rushing records and still holds them. And uh, that was going back to the late 90s. So uh, that shows you what a strong career he had at UVA. And then went on to a fabulous NFL career where uh, he played for the Jets and the Cardinals and the uh, Bears. And uh, when he retired from the NFL, he was one of the top 25 rushers in the history of the NFL. I mean, man, does it get much better than that? It does not get much better than that. Let's welcome Thomas Jones to the show there, Hootie. Thomas, uh, Thomas Jones, uh, taking some downtime down in Miami. How you doing, Thomas? Welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thank you for that introduction. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's always, always great to talk to you, Jerry. Like you, like you said in the intro, we go way back to... Uh, Powell uh, Valley, Valley High School, Big Stone Gap, Virginia. Uh, so I'm just happy uh, to be a guest on the show. Congratulations on all the success as well with the show. And also the induction into the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. It was well-deserved. I was lobbying for you and pushing for you for, for a long time. So I'm very, very excited for you and happy that you were able to, uh, to finally be inducted. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And, and you know, before we go into our interview, maybe I should, inter should tell people that uh, – you were one of the guys that nominated me, and I know that carried a lot of weight in in getting into the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. And you, I started off my induction speech with you, Thomas. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I told people, <laughs> I told the audience, we had a really good audience that night. I think it was about 500 people there, and I I told them, I said, for a lot of you that that don't know Thomas Jones, um, and I told them about your career at Virginia and the NFL, and I said. Some of you may not know, but uh, he's gone on to a great career in Hollywood. And uh, I said, uh, one one of your breakthrough moments was on a program called uh, Finding Mary Jane, I believe it was, uh, with Gabrielle Union, 
really gorgeous lady, uh, superstar actress, and uh, I said that one of your first scenes was a, a nude scene, and <laughs> that immediately caught the attention of the audience. And and I said, uh, I said uh, for for those of you ladies out there who don't aren't familiar with Thomas Jones. Uh, he's built like a, a Greek god, and I said, uh, I'm going to pause my speech right now for 30 seconds to allow all you women in the audience to Google Thomas Jones. <laughs> in fact, Thomas, we're going to put some photos of you on screen right now. <laughs> oh, wow. So I could see the women uh, reaching for their phones, Thomas, and then, uh, but anyway, they got a kick out of that, and then... Um, Ryan Zimmerman of, of the Washington Nationals, who was inducted in this class as well. I'm sure you know Ryan. Uh, he, uh, he started off his speech saying, Jerry, I want to thank you for uh, alerting me to Thomas Jones. And he says, I haven't had a chance to Google him yet, but I'll do that as soon as I can finish my speech tonight. <laughs> anyway... Uh, Let's let's talk a little bit, uh, Thomas, about life after football. We'll get into your career in a minute, but I mean, you've had an incredible uh, career after football. A lot of guys struggle to do that. I know you you struggled a little bit trying to find your way. You weren't sure what you were going to do when football came to an end. Do you want to touch on that briefly, and then uh, then we'll talk about uh, just what you've been able to do. Yes, I, I mean, a lot of guys, as you stated, they, they have a tough time trying to figure out what they're going to do once they retire, uh, especially the guys that, that play for a long time. You know, I played for 12 years, and, uh, you know, in that 12 years, you dedicate so much of yourself and uh, your energy uh, to football. Uh, and once you retire, it's, you know, it's, it's more than just a word, you know, retirement at that point is more than just a word, you know, it's a lifestyle. It's like, hey, I'm retired uh, from a 12-year NFL career, so what's next? You know, when you're physically tired, you're mentally and emotionally tired from the game, um, and also, you know, most guys, they just don't have the time to um, to build another career because, you know, it's just such a demanding job being an NFL player. Um, so I was fortunate enough uh, when I retired to, to be introduced to acting and um, initially it was just something that uh, you know I, I was at free time and I decided to pursue it and try it out uh, just kind of as a hobby uh, and then I started to find that it was almost therapeutic for me just because of uh, the technique that I was being taught um, you know all the things that I used to be a successful football player um, in regards to just attributes, you know, hard, being a hard worker, dedicated, disciplined, um, you know, being a leader, uh, being a team player. It just felt like all of those same qualities applied to to, uh, to my new acting career. And so I, I took it very, very seriously uh, once I had that kind of epiphany. Uh, and I moved to L.A. in 2014 and I pursued it full, full time. And so now, uh, you know, nine years later, you know, I'm a working actor in Hollywood. I'm a producer with multiple uh, TV shows and feature films under my belt. And, um, you know, I think I've found something that, uh, that um has definitely made my transition from the NFL to life after football much easier. I know several years ago when I when I first contacted you out in Hollywood, I, I 
I talked to a couple of guys that were, uh, I think, helped you. They were some of your acting teachers, coaches. Um, and I remember one fellow particularly told me that he had no idea that that you had been an NFL superstar, but he was impressed about how you were able to uh, pull up some of your emotions and, and uh, change character and, and uh, to, to do that sort of thing, which doesn't come naturally to most people. And uh, how, how uh, seamless that seemed uh, for you, although I, I think you told me it wasn't seamless, it was a, a real challenge. Well, the thing about the thing about being able to connect emotionally uh, to my characters um, is is that that was something that I did as a football player. I was a very uh, emotional football player. I, I loved the game. Uh, I loved the game from the time I was five years old, and um, I took football very seriously. Uh, part a part of that is where I come from. You know, Big Stone Gap, Virginia, and uh, Southwestern Virginia. You know, um, football is big. It's really, really big, and playing for Powell Valley High School, um, you know, we have uh, a great track record, um, a really, really successful football program. You know, Phil Robbins, the head coach, Barry Jones, uh, the assistant head coach. I mean, these are two coaches that I played for in high school that just instilled, um, you know, a passion for football and a passion to win that just carried me through my, the rest of my career and now into, into Hollywood. Um, so I was emotional about the game because I wanted to win. I wanted to compete. I wanted to be the best. And every time I stepped that foot on the field, whether it was practice or game, I wanted to give my best and I wanted to make sure everyone around me gave their best. So um, becoming an actor and being able to, um, you know, take those from football emotions and transfer those into character emotions was pretty seamless and I think that's what was uh, kind of a leg up for me um, as opposed to certain actors who maybe have to learn that um, on the go uh, Congratulations I, I, I know your TV series uh, Bounce has been renewed uh, I guess you're into your third season right now how, how exciting is that and, and tell us about any other projects you might be involved in at the moment you know, that's it's very exciting. Is uh, I have a TV series called Johnson, um, and it's uh, Johnson. Our, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, we're in our third season, and because there's actually an actor strike right now um, with SAG, uh, which is the union that I'm a member of, um, you know, we we can't really promote our projects just because um, you know we're you know kind of at odds with the studios and networks over equal pay and. Um, Know, benefits and things of that nature so um, you know I'm standing strong with, with that SAG union so I won't right. really get into some of the projects but that show in particular uh, has been incredible uh, my producer partner Daisy LeRae and I you know he's the creator of the show uh, but we, we shot a pilot episode for that in 2017 and um, we shopped it around Hollywood into different major studios and networks and finally were able to get the show greenlit in 2020 um, and we partnered with Cedric the Entertainer as well uh, on the show. And so, yeah, we're in our third season now. 
everything has been incredible. Uh, I haven't been able to promote it, but we obviously are watching and watching the social media comments. And uh, we have a really strong fan base of core fans that love the show and the concept. And um, it's just been incredible to create something from scratch and then to see it blossom into what it is now. So I'm excited about Johnson and hopefully the strike will be over soon so I can come back on and talk about the other projects that I have. Absolutely. That'd be great. Uh, Remind people what network that's on. That's a part of the uh, the SAG. Oh, you uh, can't do that. Okay. It would be promoting the... Right. You know, it's like if we're playing Florida State and, you know, and, I, and at halftime, but after halftime, I come out with a Florida State jersey on, you know, so I can't, <laughs> you know, so... Uh, but, yeah. But, but, but there's always uh, your platform uh, in social media where definitely people can find... Find it. Yeah, they can Google that. Um, let, let's let's look back at your career a little bit, Thomas, at Virginia. Uh, I know you showed up as a freshman, kind of a wide-eyed freshman, uh, a lot of expectations. You had uh, uh, back in those days, Virginia just produced one NFL running back after another after another. And uh, what, what was it like when you showed up on grounds and? You walked into a football program that was pretty successful, and you had some some predecessors to, to learn from in, ter- in terms of being a college running back. Uh, that was an incredible time for me. Uh, I was, I'm still, to this day, a bigger fan of college football than I am the NFL. Um, I rarely watch the NFL uh, unless it just happens to be on, and um, you know, I'm not doing anything else, but I get excited about college football. Um, I just think I love the some of the innocence that uh, I guess it used to have, you know, on Arian right. as players, um, and the pageantry and uh, the uniforms and the mascots and college uh, fight songs. And I mean, it's just it's just a very unique. Uh, exciting experience um, whether you're watching the game or whether you're you're at the game and then these young athletes just competing um, at the highest level you know for a shot at the NFL it's just the stakes are always really high and so um, when I when I came to Virginia um, before I even came to Virginia honestly I, I had got committed to Notre Dame after my junior season and um, I always was intrigued by Virginia because I didn't really know Virginia to be a football program, you know, they they were, you know, obviously an incredible academic school and had that reputation, but because of where I'm from in Virginia, I was always more of a Tennessee Falls fan. Right. Uh, I was two hours away from Knoxville, and uh, so um, my two older sisters went to Tennessee, so my younger brother, Julius, and I, we would always go to the game, so we knew all the players, we knew the coaches uh, from the time I was 12 years old, and so um, by the time I was a senior, there was no way Tennessee was thinking that I wasn't going to go there. Um, and I told them that I just, I almost kind of was burned out from going there so much. And then I committed to Notre Dame um, after my junior season. And that's where I was going to go. But Virginia, they recruited me really, really hard. Um, and I always had a sense of kind of in-state pride. I don't know what it was, I guess, because I played high school football in Virginia. And I was a student of, of the game, also a student of players. 
And so I knew all the players that were from Virginia that were in double A class, triple A class. I knew all of the other schools, all the other running backs and how many yards they had. I was just really infatuated with just statistics and other talent across the state and across the country. Um, and so Virginia was always kind of in the back of my mind, just, you know, just to respect the fact that they are the in-state school and that they recruited me so hard. Um, and so I wasn't even going to take a visit there. To be honest, I had already committed to Notre Dame. I canceled all of my other visits. I was going to take my last visit to Notre Dame, and then um, that would be it. But I decided to take a visit to Virginia uh, at the end of their school year in 95. And obviously that year was incredible for them. They, they won the ACC. They beat Florida State. Uh, they had switched their uniforms. I mean, there were a lot of changes, things that kind of caught my eye. And when I went on my visit to Virginia, uh, I was there with Tiki Barber and Rondé Barber. And by the time I left with just the guys that I met, being able to get to know Tiki over those couple of days, uh, someone that I could really look up to and someone that we had a lot in common um, and that had so much success during the previous that season, um, it was just almost kind of my first gut instinct, you know, as a young man to say, this is where I should be. Uh, obviously, Notre Dame is a bigger football program and, and a little more uh, established. But uh, I think me feeling like I should be here to help this program become a Notre Dame uh, as opposed to going to a program that was already established. I think that was the feeling that I had when I left. And so I changed my mind, and I called Lou Holtz and Earl Mosley, running backs coach at Notre Dame. And when I when I when I got back to Big Stone and told him that I was changing my mind, I was going to go to Virginia. Um, so by the time I got to Virginia, I was ready to go and ready to contribute however I could to try to help the program. Not easy telling Lou Holtz no. <laughs> no, that, that that was the hardest thing I had to do at that point. I actually I tried to. You know, smooth talk my daddy to doing it, but um, he wouldn't let me. He said, "No, you know, this is uh, this is something you have to do." Which I will always respect him for that. You know, it was a tough call uh, because I built a relationship with Earl, specifically Earl Mosley. Uh, he had come to multiple games in Big Stone. Uh, had been to Notre Dame as well, uh, and so we developed and we spoke once a week. And you know, he would help me through the season. You know, you know he'd give me advice. He'd watch my film. He would give me pointers you know I might have a 300 yard game that Friday night but you know I'll maybe talk to him on Saturday and say hey you know I watched the tape and you could do this maybe you try this so he was already coaching me uh, in high school before I even uh, went to Virginia so it was very very hard to tell uh, Earl mostly and Lou Holtz knows pretty I mean, it was an emotional call with me and Earl it was but it was necessary and I'm um, glad I did it I can imagine the difficulty for uh, an 18-year-old to have to do that. Um, but once you got to Virginia, uh, obviously you fit right in. And uh, I, I think I think we talked about this once before. But was your introduction to UVA football uh, uh, getting hit by Anthony Poindexter you know, a memorable <laughs> a memorable moment? <laughs> Yes it, yes, it was. I was fortunate enough to be welcomed to Division One college football by the infamous Anthony Poindexter. <laughs> um, you know, it was it was interesting coming to Virginia because um, 
I was very, very highly recruited coming out of high school. I was uh, a lot of publications had me ranked the number two or three running back in the nation, and uh, I was the number one recruit in Virginia, and um, you know won the Gatorade Circle Champions Player of the Year. I was, you know, there was just a lot of really major accolades, um, and you know when you have that much success and that much notoriety um, coming out of high school people are really anxious to see you in person see what you look like you know also I played in single A single A classification so a lot of people in Virginia uh, players anyway thought that I didn't play against the top level of competition and so um, you know I I was under a lot of criticism and a lot of uh, Scrutiny. I was under a microscope when I came to Virginia, so I was only 180 pounds, and you know I wasn't the biggest or the fastest, but I was a football player. You know I was tough, I was quick, I had really good vision, um, and I was always prepared. I watched film even in high school, so I always knew what was going to happen uh, before it happened. I just had to react. And um, the first day of full pads of practice, you know, it was one of those things where hey you know this is the guy you're going to Notre Dame and all these other schools and now you're in Virginia well you're here now you have to show us what you can do and he called me at the end of practice literally um, you know I wasn't I didn't see him and bam um, and <laughs> so me a concussion and uh, you know I, I, I stood back up and I ran a few more plays afterwards but um, they could tell that I wasn't you know in my right state of mind and so uh, from that point on, I was like, hey, if this is one of the hardest hitters in college football and I stood up after being hit by him, then it can't get any worse than this. So I was actually that gl- glad that that happened because it just woke me up to the physicalness of Division One college football, and um, I never looked back after that. Yeah, I imagine a lot of people probably felt the felt the wrath of Anthony Poindexter <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah, what, what, what was your most memorable moment, Thomas, uh, playing for George Wells? My most memorable moment. Oh man, there were so many great moments with Coach Welsh. Probably my junior year, my third year, um, as we say in Virginia, um, at Virginia Tech, uh, the game where we came back. Oh, yeah. Uh, Biggest comeback in UVA history. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was that game. Um, There were so many memories of Coach Welsh. You know, Coach Welsh was one of those guys that you either respected him or you hated him. I don't think too many people liked Coach Welsh. I think think they respected him enough to uh, work with him, work for him, and play for him. Um, And then there were people who were just like, he's just intolerable. Um, But one thing about Coach Welsh was that he was honest. He was uh, a football he was a football coach. He he was a fundamentals guy, a discipline guy, uh, 
And that's why most of the guys that left under him that went to the NFL were successful. He, he prepared us for the next level because that's the NFL. Uh, all that matters is um, is winning and discipline and fundamentals. So, you know, Coach Welsh was an incredible coach. You know, I, I, now that I've had time to look back on playing for Coach Welsh, I do wish he would have allowed uh, the media to have more access to us. I think we had so many good players who had opportunities to bring more attention to the university and football program that I think we suffered a little bit. You know, the football program suffered from the lack of media attention. It wasn't because of the talent. It was because Coach Welsh just wasn't, um, you know, he just, he, just, he just wasn't fond of the media. Um, but, you know, overall, I mean, I couldn't have picked a better coach to play for in college. Legendary coach, one of the best to ever do it. I have so much respect for him, and uh, he's, he's greatly missed I feel fortunate. I had a, I had a great relationship with George, and I think maybe I was one of the few media people he trusted. And uh, well, I, well, I know he trusted me, but uh, I was able to get to know him a lot better than most people um, away from the field. And um, but he he was one one hell of a football coach. I'm not sure anyone else has been able to do the kind of work that, that he pulled off here, just turning a, a, a program that was sort of the, the joke of college football into a, a, a number one team in the nation and a consistent winner. And it was just, uh, I guess that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. But uh, do you think, how, what's it going to take, Thomas? It's been a long time since those days. Uh, there's been a, a few bright moments in the program from you know, along the way since then, but how does Virginia return to that kind of football prominence? What's it going to take, do you think, in your opinion? And that's a great question, Jerry. I, I honestly, um, I know when I was at Virginia, um, Virginia was the Virginia football program. I, I was never interested in Virginia Tech, uh, maybe because they were kind of closer to home, so it didn't really feel like um, uh, the college experience that I was looking for, just because it was, you know, Charlottesville was only a few hours away. You know, it was five hours, I guess, from where I'm from, as right. opposed to one and a half, three. Um, but, you know, I, I never thought of Virginia Tech you know when I was thinking of college I always thought if there was if there was a Virginia school that I would go to it would be Virginia um, and I was that was in the early 90s where I paid attention you know I was a big Tennessee fan so I remember when Virginia played Tennessee in the Sugar Bowl and I remember Sean Moore and I remember Terry Kirby because in high school um, usually anytime I was able to break a rushing record it was Terry Kirby's record right so I was introduced to Terry Kirby as a junior in high school just because his name was all over the Virginia High School League record books. Um, and then seeing Tiki um, his junior year, which was my senior year in high school, uh, I was like, wow, you know, Virginia was the football program. So I think the recruiting back then, I think we were getting a lot of the really, really good players in state. Um, they were, I mean, that was another reason why I committed to Virginia and changed my mind was because on my visit all of these incredibly talented players and 
guys I could just relate to because they were all from Virginia. They were all from different parts of Virginia. Some were from Roanoke, some were from Richmond, some were from Chesapeake, some were from Hampton, uh, Norfolk, Alexandria. Um, and also realized that there weren't that many from my area of Virginia, too. That was another reason why I was like, hey, you know, I need to represent my area of Virginia here, of Virginia as well. So I think recruiting in state, you know, I'm not really sure how uh, the recruiting stacks up uh, in state um, regarding Virginia and the other schools. But I know, I know that was a huge part of uh of our success was was that we were able to capture a lot of the best players in Virginia. I know Antoine Womack was rated very highly, running back coming out after me the year after uh, I, I came to Virginia. He came to Virginia, so uh, you have two number one. Both guys, both of us are number one recruits in the state of Virginia, and we're running backs, and we're both going back to Virginia. So you know the competition is going to be better, which is going to make you better on the field and better on game day, make the team better. Um, so I think that's part of it is is uh, is a recruiting. Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think there's been a lot of attention, and this may not have anything to do with it. But what I did like about George Welsh is that George Welsh was about football. Um, you know, it wasn't about uh, uniforms. It wasn't about. Uh, Aesthetics wasn't about stripes on your helmet. It wasn't about stripes on your pants. It wasn't, and I know that's all the cool college stuff that you know you have to have nowadays to kind of compete. But you actually don't have to have it to compete because if you're winning, you know guys are going to want to come there. Um, so I think one thing I did appreciate about Coach Wells was that he limits limited the distractions for us as players, and so our main focus was continuing to get better. And competing and, and winning every time we stepped out on the field. So I think there's multiple reasons. Those are just two that I'm brainstorming about spitballing just because of my experience in Virginia. But I don't know. I hope they can get it turned around because, uh, you know, Virginia has a, a really, really good history of really good football teams and football players. And it'd be great to see us get back there. And I think we can. I think we will. I'm going to ask you one more question and let you go because I know you. You want to get back to your downtime because you don't get much of that. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people don't realize you, you live in Hollywood, but you also have a home in Miami. I know you're down there hanging out with some of your former Wahoos, uh, Terry Kirby being one of them, uh, another, another guy or two uh, down there as well. Um, what Just put into perspective the value of a UVA ed- education. There's a lot of kids that come here and, and play and, and don't get to go on to the NFL and have a great career like you did, but they go on and, and uh, have great careers in business or, or whatever. Uh, how much does that education help the average college football player that comes to UVA, Thomas? It's, it's huge. It's, it's huge. Uh, I mean, obviously, um, you know, UVA has a great reputation regards to their, their academic standards. Uh, I think that's another reason why um, sometimes it's hard for Virginia because sometimes um, we may not be able to get some of the best football players because some some of the best football players might not qualify uh, academically to, to, to be accepted. So, um, you know, that's great, obviously, academic from an academic perspective because it keeps the standard high. 
uh, in regards to who has access to the school and, and, and to become a student. But on the flip side, uh, you know, you miss out on some really, really talented athletes that could immediately come in and help change the program. But the academic reputation is one of the main reasons why I even considered Virginia and Notre Dame. In my mind, I was thinking I would love to have a successful career here and make it to the NFL, but if for some reason that's not in the cards for me, um, a degree from the University of Virginia, the experience there, um, also the networking with other uh, UVA grads, uh, it's definitely an opportunity to get a leg up in life once you leave. Um, you know, I, I think the Virginia academic um, element is super powerful. As soon as you say Virginia, people immediately think you're a smart guy. Um, that's one of the cool things about um, being in Hollywood. I actually did um, um, a, a roundtable conversation recently about my show Johnson and one of the conversations was about politics and one of my uh, co-stars you know jokingly asked me because um, I spoke adamantly, adamantly about politics and the importance of politics and, and he was like hey so well you know basically so you're you know you seem pretty passionate about this did you run for office um, in high school, you know, and he said it in a way where he was trying to, you know, imply that I didn't. And I said, well, actually, yes, my freshman year, I was the head of our student council, SCA. And then my sophomore, junior, and senior year in high school, I was class president all three years. And I gave the graduation speech at my grad during my graduation for my, my senior class. Um, and he was like, oh, wow, you know, and so, you know, and these are all, our guys, all four of the guys, the leads on that show, we're like brothers, best friends. We always kind of joke each other and give each other a, a hard time about stuff. And so it was a really, really funny. But as you look in the comments, multiple people mentioned, um, he's a UVA grad. Why would you question that? You know, and someone else said, hey, you know, the guy played in football at UVA. What do you mean that he's running for president? You know, so <laughs> I'm saying that. You know, no matter where you go, that UVA degree um, and that reputation is always going to be there. Right. So, um, at the end of the day, the student athletes—you know, the play football players there and the athletes there—and so, you know, they're either you're there to win, but also get your degree and and, and hopefully use that to, to carry your life, whether you make it to the professional level or not. It's very important. So that's why Virginia is one of the top schools in the country, regardless of how their football team is. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you so much for your time, Thomas. We uh, thoroughly enjoy catching up with you, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again. I, I know you mentioned before we got on air that you might be coming to a game sometime this season, and we'll possibly get you in the studio for another show sometime during the season. Oh, that would be great. I definitely, um, definitely looking forward to trying to get back this year. I have some downtime with the SAG strike, actor strike. So, um, yes, I definitely love to get back. And and, uh, and when I come back, I will definitely come in studio uh, so we can, you know, shake hands and, and uh, have a Wahoo conversation, you know, in person. That would be awesome. Thank you so much. Say hello to Terry Kirby and the other guys down there in South Florida. And, uh, be good. We'll see you soon. We'll do. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Thank you. I love it. I love it. So we can close that. That's Thomas Jones right there. He crushed it, Hootie. Just a fantastic interview you lined up right there. 
he uh, never disappoints. You know, he's, he's one of these guys that has always had his act together. Uh, I think he graduated from UVA in three years. He, he's a smart kid. Uh, he's not a kid now, obviously, but he was uh, back in the day. But, uh, I mean, he, I can't think of any – you know, there, there's so many really good athletes who represent UVA on a professional level uh, in the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, soccer, etc. I, I can't think of a, a better ambassador for UVA than Thomas Jones. I mean, he he's dabbled into so many different fields. He's got and the mightiest successful. touch. Yeah, he does have the mightiest touch. I mean, he's been in so many films in Hollywood involved in TV shows, so many other things. We'll get him maybe after the actor strikes over he can talk about those a little more in depth, but uh, the guy's been so successful on, on every level and uh, I'm proud to call him a friend. He's just a great guy. You guys talked um, some heavy hitter names. Terry Kirby, you guys talked Thomas Jones, you talked Rondé, you talked Tiki Barber. Uh, Sean Moore came up. Antoine Womack came up. I mean, these are guys that are, are, are legends and guys that have ties to the Commonwealth. It seems clear to me, you're the expert, I just learned from you. In fact, you, the Antoine Womack reference um, got me nostalgic. You set me on the recruiting trail while we were working for the Daily Progress. You were the sports editor and columnist. I'm, I was a Cub reporter. You sent me to Phoebus High School yeah. to head coach Bill D, the head coach of Phoebus, and said, I want you to interview Coach D for our recruiting issue. Mm-hmm. That's when the progress in your sports department was putting out um, a recruiting profile of some of the top talent in the Commonwealth, and it was read by everyone. Yes. I mean, that's when we had uh, depth in our sports department and many, many pages in each issue of the uh, sports section. So I get in my car, I drive down Interstate 64, I head to Hampton Roads, go to Phoebus High School, go to Bill D's office. His office must have been the size of like, you know, 50, 80 square feet. Yeah. I mean, the desk. Those, those high school coaches' offices aren't very big. They're so <laughs> tiny. I mean, literally the size of our closet. Yeah. He says, I got to finish gym class. Why don't you sit on this sofa? I plopped down on the sofa. The springs of the sofa had been destroyed by his big football players that had been plopping down on that sofa for years, if not decades. Mm -hmm. So I sit down, immediately flop to the bottom of the sofa, and we we wait for gym class to be over. Coach D walks in. He says, what can I do for you, son? I said, Jerry Ratcliffe sent me here to do a profile on Antoine Womack. As soon as I said your name, Jerry Ratcliffe, he said, I'll give you all the time you need. And we sat down and we talked about Antoine Womack for an extended period of time in that tiny office outside of the gymnasium at Phoebus High School. My point with this is Virginia football at a time absolutely owned the Commonwealth. And those guys that you were talking about, Kirby, Poindexter, Moore, TJ, from the Commonwealth, how paramount is it to getting back to those recruiting inroads? I think it's maybe not quite as much as it was back in the day because I know – Football has grown to be such a gigantic part of our lives now, and, and recruiting has changed a little bit. Some schools don't feel like they have to own their own state like they did back in those days. They just want to get their share. I mean, I know 
and I don't know that South Carolina is as football rich in high school as Virginia has been over the decades, but I know Clemson, for instance, doesn't feel like they go out of state a lot to get their players, and, and it's that way with a lot of schools. But I do think it's very important for Virginia to grab an, a foothold back in the state again because it's been such a long time since they've owned the state or even shared the state. Uh, during the Bronco Mendenhall days, they never could get that foothold. They they never could. And uh, they were able to win in spite of it because they did a really good job bringing in some talent from elsewhere, all, all over the country. And Tony Elliott is doing some of the same thing. He, he is get, making a little bit more inroads in the state. They do have a few kids from the state of Virginia committed in the the current recruiting class that they're putting together. But uh, I, I think they they need to step it up. They're going to have to, if they want to win at the level that they're talking about, they're going to have to make a stronger presence in the state and and keep some of these guys in state. I mean, they're going to Penn State. They're going to Maryland. They've been going to North Carolina. They've lost some really, really quality football players to some outside-the-state schools. And Virginia Tech is, is having some of the same difficulties as well and has for, for several years. They are maybe a little bit ahead in that race right now, and Virginia's got some catching up to do. But it's, it's pertinent, Jerry, for them to, to get back into some kind of a, an established role as, as a place where kids who grow up here want to come here and be part of the orange and blue. I mean, there was a time, you know, I, as you know, went to UVA. Um, when I was growing up in the 80s and 90s, Virginia football was the school. Yes. It was where you wanted to go. It was where, I mean, my friends and I, this is the team we wanted to watch. And that seems to have changed for youngsters that are matriculating through school, um, you know, Mike London made a focus on recruiting the Commonwealth, and he made some inroads. I wish things could have gone a little bit different for Coach London. I was a huge fan for him. It just seems it's an opportunity to return to Providence, prominence, especially with arch nemesis Virginia Tech really focused on the Commonwealth, Hootie. Yeah, and, uh, and Brent Pry down there at Tech, he realizes that Frank Beamer's success at Tech was built by Virginia kids as well. That's something that George and Frank made priorities. And, and, and Frank Beamer would always be the first guy to tell you. He said, even at the height of, of Virginia Tech's, Tech's success, when Virginia may have uh, sank a little bit, uh, Frank would always say, he said, you know, there's, I've always said, Frank said, there's enough room in this state for two really good football teams, uh, enough players to go around, and if we just keep them in the state of Virginia, both programs should be fine. And he was exactly right about that. And it's it's something that both schools really need to prioritize and, and try to make that happen again. And if they do, I think both programs will rise again in the ACC and, and be competitive nationally. But you gotta you gotta have the talent. 
We got questions coming in, guys. We'll highlight your questions, put them in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. This question from James Watson, who's a Wahoo graduate, knows the football, basketball, and all the sports teams inside and out. He says, fellas, was not getting Michael Vick and Ron Curry decommitting a turning point for this football team. I'll offer some backstory, then you provide the answer there. Michael Vick, everyone knows that name. Quarterback, Virginia Tech, goes on to a stellar career in the National Football League with the Falcons, the Eagles, and the Steelers. Uh, Ron Curry may be a name not as many folks realize. Ron Curry, out of Mike Smith's Hampton High School program, initially commits to the University of Virginia all over ESPN on national TV. This guy was as good at basketball as he was at football in high school. Then he decommits and heads to Chapel Hill. His time in Chapel Hill, I think, might be characterized as up and down. Some phenomenal highlights, also some low points as well. Ron Curry then goes to the National Football League and converts from quarterback to wide receiver. Has a a pretty good run with the Oakland Raiders. Now an assistant coach, a long-standing assistant coach in the NFL. Curry's coaching career looks very bright with a lot of upside. Um, What do you make of James' comment? Michael Vick going to Virginia Tech and Ron Curry decommitting and heading to Chapel Hill is a potential turning point. It was certainly a blow, and I was involved heavily in in those stories back then. I I covered uh, their senior year. They were both in the same class, and I covered – the game when they played against each other uh, that senior year. And I'll never forget, I think Michael Vick outplayed Ronald Curry in that game. And I remember talking to his coach after the game uh, who said, if if Ronald Curry is the number one recruit in the nation, then Michael Vick is 1B. One, one yeah, right. 1A and 1B. And wasn't Curry number one in football and basketball? I know he was a... Uh, a McDonald's All-American. McDonald's All-American. He won the dunk contest yeah. prior to the McDonald's All-American game. He he was not only a quarterback, but one of the best safeties I've ever seen play high school football. He was an incredible athlete. He was an incredible athlete. He was returning punts, returning kicks. Yes, and, 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 and doing it well. Doing extremely well. Uh, he couldn't be stopped. And Bobby Bowden, uh, and that was during their dynasty at Florida State, Bobby Bowden said he's the best high school quarterback I've ever seen that's how good he was and Michael Vick may have been better and uh, the, the thing that bothered me about Ronald Curry and and Danny Wilmer is a very close friend of mine and Danny was in charge of recruiting them and uh, he, he actually tried to recruit both of them and, and one of the coaches said you can't have them both Danny and Danny said why <laughs> but anyway uh, Ronald Curry kept telling Danny Wilmer that he was coming to Virginia even up to the last couple of weeks and even though he was wearing Carolina gear around school and the rumors were that he was going to go to Carolina and 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 I asked Danny I said you are you sure he's not going to go to Carolina and Danny said he said Jerry I looked him right in the eye and said Ronald tell me what you're going to do and he said he looked me in the eye and he said coach come next season I'll be wearing a Virginia uniform and, and Jeff Jones was recruiting him for basketball, too. And I, and I think had he come to Virginia, I think he would have bet, had a better college career because I think George Welsh would have done a better job with him in football. And I think Jeff Jones would have done a, a better job with him in basketball, frankly, than, than what happened at Carolina. So 
but it was a blow because had he been honest with Virginia and and told him that I, you know I'm, I think I've changed my mind I'm going to Carolina then Virginia would have hopped on to Michael Vick and probably would have gotten him because they from what I understand Michael Vick wanted to come to Virginia initially so losing both of them was a blow both of them who knows what they could have done for the Virginia program had they advanced uh, I mean they ended up getting some pretty good guys anyway uh, I can't remember exactly who was after that or what that time frame was in years you might have a better handle on that than I do I've been doing it so long my years run together but uh yeah, it was definitely a blow to UVA and uh, and their program and and what could have been, no question about it. And and there was there was um, additional talent that was following that decision closely. For example, tight end Bobby Blizzard played at Hampton High School, was one of Ronald's best pass catchers, and he ended up going to Kentucky, then transferring to UNC yep. to finish his collegiate career. I think if Ronald had headed to Charlottesville. Um, Bobby, for example, would have followed as well. Yeah, because three of those guys all committed at a at halftime of a UVA game against Auburn. That that's year. right. Yeah. I remember that vividly. Ronald yeah. Curry slightly older than me. I remember seeing Ronald Curry um, at the Hampton Coliseum. My brother, my mom, and I were walking into Hampton Coliseum as Ronald Curry was walking out. And even in high school, I think this was his junior and senior year. I might have been a freshman or sophomore in high school. My, my dad went to Hampton High School, so we grew up going to these football games and watching him play. And he was walking out of Hampton High School. He had an entourage of like 15 or 20 people around him. Yeah. And it wasn't just high schoolers. It was like literally adults in his entourage coming out of Hampton High School. He was in the center. And as he was walking out, this kid's 17 or 18 years old now, as he was walking out, Folks were flocking to him yes. and asking for his autograph. My mother at the time, this is, I, you know, she must have been 40, 45, 50 years old. She was giddy like a school <laughs> girl over Ronald Curry coming out of Hampton Coliseum. Just showed his star power, Hootie. It was Absolutely. sensational star power. I mean, he, he was phenomenal. Everybody in the nation who cared about college football knew who Ronald Curry was. And... Not so much Michael Vick, who took a back seat to him in, in high school, but um, it, it was uh, incredible. I, I, I don't know that you'll ever find two guys within that proximity that were that good in high school who went on to be successful. It, Virginia fans have never forgiven Ronald Curry for, for what he did, and they nicknamed him Benedict Ronald, and, and to this day, yeah. Uh, it's a sour moment if you bring his name up to Virginia fans. No question about it. Pat Preston Cochran watching the program right now. we got folks as far as Idaho watching the show right now. Idaho. Wah Wahoos everywhere. I see Idaho on the program. I see folks um, in Wyoming watching the show. We have our friends in Northern Virginia and Richmond on the heat, Pat. Folks outside Philadelphia folks in upstate New York and on Long Island on the heat map, all over Charlottesville and Richmond on the heat map right now. Viewers and listeners, if you have a question, put it in the feed. I will relay it live on air. This is a question that's come in, and this question's a fantastic one from Bill Heyman. And Mr. Heyman says, is Coach Elliott focused on recruiting the Commonwealth and prioritizing it? Hootie. He is. 
but you know the, the it let me have, let me see how I can put this he, he wants it bad I mean he really wants to own this state and he knows that if he wants to be successful here then he's got to get some of the better players from this state to commit that's one of the reasons they're building that building over there right now as we speak and it'll be open next spring I was just over there yesterday after practice yeah, it's coming along very nicely it's, it's a very impressive structure and it they make sure that every recruit takes a look at that Season. thing. Yeah, no question. And uh, you know, as Chris Slade told me, he said, "Not only we used to just have to show them pictures. He said now we can actually show it to them when they come here and, and what it, what it looks like. They can actually go into it, even though it's just uh, steel beams and, and stuff like that at the moment." But. Uh, yeah, he is very focused on the state of Virginia. Being focused and, and actually making it happen is is the big part. I mean, how do you get kids to come here? Uh, obviously, academics sell themselves. Some of the kids are interested in that. Some of them aren't. Some of them want to play in the NFL. Some of them want to go to bowl games. They want to play on national TV as, as much as possible. You, you got to find ways to reach those kids and convince them that this is where they can win. And, and that bottom line is, Bill and, and and everybody else out there, bottom line is you got to win to get those kids here. It, it was hard for George Welsh when he built this program from ashes. He couldn't get the top players in the state to visit here. They wouldn't give him the time of day. And they finally built the McHugh Center and started showing it to people that Virginia had made a commitment, that football was important, that they were going to take care of them and, and give them the state-of-the-art stuff, which it was at the time. It's antiquated now. But uh, they're hoping this building will help turn some heads and help get some kids. But bottom line is George won earlier than people would have even imagined. I mean, he was in a bowl game. He came here in 82. He was in the Peach Bowl in 84. I mean, my goodness. Virginia had never been to a bowl game before. They, The, the previous eight coaches had won, uh, had two winning seasons in 29 years. And so you got to win. And, and Tony knows that. You got to win. And it's, you know, it, a lot of people thought he would win last year with the talent he had on hand. Things went haywire. This year's is a big year. It's a big year. I mean, he's not expected to win this year. ACC's got him picked. The, your colleagues got him picked last in the conference. Yeah, they do, and 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 with good reason. And he yeah. understands that. Uh, he understands that he's got to restock the talent. How do you do that? Win? How do you win? You got to have talent to win. It, it's a dilemma, and I, you know, the only way out of it is recruiting really good players and he's busting his hump trying to do that him and his coaching staff if they even if they don't win have a winning season this year and nobody seems to think that they will they've got to be competitive and show that they're making progress and giving people hope that maybe next year they can turn the corner and they the, some of the recruits they've gotten lately 
are, are pretty good guys. They they they've been compete. They've been recruited by some pretty good programs that uh, that you can win with. Uh, he's just got to get more of them. He's got to get a lot more of them and uh, use the transfer portal wisely to shore up the needs. But uh, he has made it a priority. It's just a matter of going out and getting it done. We have some uh, news from training camp, which you can find on jerryratcliffe.com. Coach Elliott has named a starting quarterback if you want to get that lower third on screen. As predicted, um, Hootie Ratcliffe made this prediction. I think this is something we all see, we all saw coming. Um, Tony Musket's the guy here, and he's going to have a stiff test against Tennessee uh, to open the season. Musket, your starting quarterback, Hootie. Yeah, none of us really thought that Tony was going to throw Anthony Calandria, a true freshman, into the lion's den out in Nashville. That would be beyond any kind of expectation you could have for a true freshman who was playing high school football at this time last year. But, uh, I mean, there's a few for, a few prized freshman quarterbacks who can do that, but not many. And uh, Tony Musket has a lot of experience under his belt. And Tony Elliott challenged him uh, before this second scrimmage this past Saturday to show him more leadership, to show him that he should own that position, that to make some separation, even though Calandria was pushing him. Uh, apparently he was more vocal this past week or two in practice, performed well in the scrimmage, and showed a lot of leadership and I think that was enough to for Tony to go ahead and, and declare that, and uh, so he could get more reps uh, in the next couple of weeks in preparation for that game at Tennessee. This question's come in from Sloan from McLean. Uh, guys, I'm a 2007 Wahoo graduate. We try to make it down to one or two football games um, each season. We miss Charlottesville. Question for uh, for Jerry Ratcliffe here. Will the game plan change, or or what's the game plan look like, she says, with Tony Musket under center, the Hoosier 28-point underdog? I don't think they're going to change the offense from last year. I think he maybe has a clearer understanding of it than Brennan Armstrong did. It never clicked with him last year. I think Musket operated in a system at Monmouth somewhat similar to, to this system. So I think it's been a smoother transition in that regards than than uh, than maybe it would be with someone else. But um, it's it's all going to depend on how well they execute, and a lot of it. We'll talk a little bit about the offensive line in a minute, but that's going to be a huge part of if they're going to have any kind of success at all in Nashville. Uh, they're going to be playing a fierce front seven from Tennessee that's been bolstered by a lot of transfers from really good programs. Uh, we talked to Des Kitchens, the offensive coordinator, yesterday, and he is very aware of Tennessee's front seven. It's a much more vicious, aggressive front seven than Tennessee fielded last year, and he expects them, as I do, for Tennessee to put a lot of pressure on Tony Musket early in the game to see if he can handle it. And we'll see. Um, but I, uh, as far as the game plan goes, uh, they want to they want a balanced offense. They want to run the ball. They want to throw the ball. Uh, I expect them to use their 
two veteran tight ends a lot more than than uh, they have in the past in in, re, in the last couple of years, and uh, I, I imagine that they'll probably try to use the running backs in pass uh, in the passing game a little bit more than than in the past as well because it's going to be really difficult, I think, to run against Tennessee's defense. Let's get a Chico Bennett update on screen, um, Judah, for a lower third. You call good news the Chico Bennett update? Yeah, I think on the on the uh, in the big picture, it's good news. Uh, Let's put it in perspective first. Yeah, after the first scrimmage, Chico had a, a good scrimmage, and uh, he's had a good camp. He's Virginia's leading pass rusher, uh, returning from a year ago, most sacks by a Virginia player since 2019. Um, he tried to stand up at the end of the scrimmage, the first scrimmage, a little over a week ago, and his knee stiffened up on him. He couldn't couldn't bend his knee. Um, they weren't sure exactly what was wrong. They uh, x-rayed it, found some bone fragments that had uh, impinged the, the knee action, and so I think they scoped it, and uh, he was on crutches, um, a few days ago, when we, I guess before the, our show last week, we weren't sure what his problem was, how long-term it might be. I think Virginia was preparing for the worst, that he might be out for weeks or months. Uh, good news yesterday, Tony Elliott announced that he's walking again. Uh, it's, he got rid of the crutches, and... It looks like he's going to be out of action for the next 10 days. He can't do anything really on that knee but walk on it. <clears throat> so I would assume he's not going to play in the Tennessee game. But um, if he's going to miss a game, that's probably a good one to miss. And they'll have him ready for perhaps for JMU the following week where he can make an impact. Hootie Ratcliffe dropping some knowledge bombs. Check out the uh, check out his website, jerryratcliffe.com. We want to highlight the offensive line here. Um, you've been following it closely. We know how important the offensive line is. I think it's probably safe to say question marks on the line um, going into the season here. Give us a take or some perspective of what's going on in the trenches. I think they have some talented guys, Jerry. Uh, some of them played last year. Some of them transferred in. Um, and the, the biggest problem they've had in camp recently is that some of these guys are getting banged up. Um, I know that Mikhail Boley, who started some as a true freshman last year, and they haven't had too many guys start at left tackle. You know how important that is um, in, in program history. And so Mikhail Boley, whose dad played the NFL, he's from Hattiesburg, Mississippi, he's 6'4". Uh, 330 pounds. He's a big boy. That is a big boy. And uh, has has good uh, a good background. Uh, he, they moved him out to left tackle, and uh, and since then uh, he's he's had an an ankle issue. Uh, he's been sidelined lately, and so in the process uh, they've moved uh, Ugana. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if it's pronounced Nana or Nana. But he's a transfer from Houston. He's a, a Texas kid. He's six four, three hundred, a senior, and uh, he's he's been impressive. They had him at left guard, right beside Bowley, but 
when Bowley got injured, they had to move Ugana to left tackle, and he's been doing well. He's been playing left tackle and right tackle. Uh, also, in since then, they've discovered how well that uh, another kid, uh, Blake Steen, who is uh, let's see, they had him at guard, but they they've moved they played him some at tackle too. He's from Miami, six five three forty sophomore. He's been very impressive in camp. So now they have uh, a guy who he could play left tackle as well. Ugana can play either tackle, and McKaylee is uh, Mikael Bowley uh, is good at left tackle. So they've got uh, eight or ten guys on the offensive line that five or six of them can play guard or tackle, can play either tackle, and so they're building a little bit of depth there, which. Uh, is something that's going to be instrumental if they want to have a balanced offense and a good running game. They just got to keep these guys healthy and get them healthy uh, for Tennessee because that's going to be quite a challenge for those guys to take on that, as we mentioned, a very aggressive Tennessee front seven. Why? Wh- how do you look at the Tennessee game? I mean, we're 28-point underdogs. We've got a brand-new quarterback here. Tony Elliott's still trying to get his guys in the system in play here. I mean, Look, I understand. I understand. There's no such thing really as a moral victory at this level of college sports. It's about wins and losses, especially when your coach is being paid this kind of money, and when there's this much money circulating around the program. But realistically, does Coach Elliott and the staff use this game as a a test of any kind, as a feeler out of any kind? Um, for what's coming up on the season. I don't think anyone in the country expects the Who's to contend here. Yeah, we, we asked Tony Elliott about that yesterday, as a matter of fact, after practice. And uh, and a lot of people don't maybe not remember this, but Tony Elliott was a, a guy that Tennessee wanted to be their head coach a couple of years ago when he was having such success at Clemson as their offensive coordinator. He actually withdrew his name from that he said he prayed about it, uh, asked for direction from the Lord about if it was, you know, if that was the job for him. And he, he decided that it, the timing wasn't right and just wasn't the right time for him to take on that job. And so um, had, he, had he done that, he might, <laughs> he might be on the other sideline in a couple of weeks. But... Uh, we we asked him about the Tennessee game and and what you know what about it and he said well he said it's a good gauge for us to let us know where our program stands how much more work we've got to do or, or what do we have to do to advance our program to where we compete on that can compete on that level um, are we ahead of where we think we are are we further behind how, you know what they're going to use this as a, a measuring stick for a lot of things about Virginia football and and try to figure out where to go from there. But um, you're right. Nobody expects them to win. Most people don't even expect them to be competitive. Right. And feel like that the 28 points. Might be light. Might be light. Yeah. And so uh, the main thing they need to go and do out there is try to be competitive and try to stay healthy so that they don't lose players uh, for the games that they possibly can compete in 
following the following week against JMU for one. That's how I'm looking at it. Yeah, and so uh, the last thing we need is collateral damage in a contest where the team's going to get blown out, and the absolutely. expectation is blown out. When the following week they could maybe it's a even spread. Absolutely, and it's a home game. It'll be a very emotional game because they'll be celebrating the lives of the three slain players from last November, and and uh, you you would hope that they can keep their emotions under control because I've seen that go both ways before, not just Virginia, but a lot of football programs where they're uh, dealing with 18 and 22 year old kids yeah, and emotions you know. commemorating something tragic that's happened and uh, you know it, it can work for you or it can work against you so you got to be very careful it's a very thin line that you're walking there um questions are coming in this is a, a question that literally has come in on something we're talking about right now vilma corchado says with the tennessee game expected to be a blowout why not try to see the guys um give them some playing time to see what they could do for the rest of the season. We appreciate your uh, question there, Vilma. That's literally what we're talking about right now. You know, I just look at this ball club and I see an offensive line that might be gelling and coming together. As you said, they've got to be healthy. I think Tony Musket is a tremendous unknown. We got to hope that what Tony and his staff, Tony Elliott and his staff saw with Musket coming into this program. We hope that the upside's certainly there. I think we have some talent on the wide receiving core. I thought the Chico Bennett news was positive. Um, my, my concern initially when I heard the Chico Bennett um, injury was maybe this could be prolonged throughout the season. Hopefully it's a game, a game that no one expects the Hoos to win anyway. I mean, y- you look at the rest of the schedule here. Do you see a turning point? or a must-win here for a team that is predicted to finish last at the conference? Well, I mean, if they could win the JMU game, it would be... A springboard. It would be a springboard. They can use that because even though they'll be the underdog in the next couple of games against Maryland and NC State, uh, they believe that they can play with those guys. And if you've got a little confidence, a little momentum going, you know, Things can happen. You can get some good breaks. Uh, some guys might step up and play better than people are maybe giving them credit for. Uh, anything's possible in football. We've seen a lot of upsets of, of really good football teams by FCS programs that people gave them no chance to win. Uh, who was it that came into Knoxville uh, I think two years ago? and I think it was Georgia State or somebody came in there. Nobody gave them a prayer uh so weird things can happen in football especially if you get turnovers um you just never know and so winning is huge and you got to learn how to win and this team uh, could really use a win early against jmu and if they do that it, it could help them a lot earlier than people think um, Jerry Ratcliffe dropping knowledge here. Questions continue to come in. This is a very qu- good question from Jonathan in Richmond. Then we'll go to Todd Raff, the owner of Blue Toad Hard Cider. He's got a comment um, in Nelson County. Uh, Jonathan in Richmond says, Jerry, uh, is there a player on this team that's an unknown that can step up and be a dynamic potential superstar for this team? There's probably a few. Uh, some of them we may not even know that much about at this point. But I think 
I think Malik Washington, the kid that transferred in from Northwestern, it's a wide receiver, kick returner. He's impressed me. He's he's a very positive thinking kid. He's very intelligent. Uh, he's got great speed. I, th- I saw him return a kick in the spring game that uh, wowed me a little bit. I think he has potential. I, uh, I think several of the receivers are guys who probably aren't on the radar like some of the receivers that they lost, but I think a lot of these guys have potential to have pretty good seasons. Uh, There's a a bevy of running backs who um, I think could have good years if this offensive line does gel. And I talked to uh, Des Kitchens yesterday about the running backs, and it's going to be a a position, a tailback by position, uh, by committee rather. They have so many good guys back there that if, if one guy has the hot hand, they'll start feeding him the ball more. Otherwise, they're going to use different guys, try to keep fresh legs in the game. Defensively, I think there's some guys in the secondary that uh, could step up. I, I, I think you should keep your eye on true freshman Cam Robinson, a four-star kid who picked Virginia over Florida State at linebacker. He's having a good camp. He loves football. I think he's really caught the coach's eyes. I think some of those guys on the the, the defensive line, a very experienced defensive line, could have good years. So I think there's a lot of guys that could step up and, and, and have pretty good campaigns if uh, if things break right. Jermaine Farrell watching the program, the sports director. Jermaine, he's a great guy. I love Jermaine. At WFXR, Fox, and Roanoke watching the program right now. Jermaine, One of the hardest working men in the state. The guy gets after it. His reputation precedes itself. Todd Rath, owner of Blue Toad Hard Cider, the king of cider, we like to call him. He says he's a Purdue graduate living in UVA land, and it's literally the same thing as Purdue. Great academic school really never a football powerhouse it goes in cycles creative recruiting and taking chances on great talent on the way up wins it for coaches in academic settings like this i mean he has a point look at what wake force has done yes wake force is a difficult academic institution and they've gotten creative with their program and now i don't think anyone wants to play wake force no and and he has done a fabulous job with that program I was a little skeptical when they hired him. I, I didn't think he would be a guy who could turn it around. Excuse me, turn it around, but uh, I ate those words. He's done a fabulous job. He's one of the most underrated coaches in the country. And he just finds talent. And they they don't uh, bring in a lot of uh, four-star guys or even three-star guys, Jerry. They, they bring two stars in and coach them up. And... Uh, they can do the same thing here. It's just a matter of uh, can these coaches develop these players in, into guys they can win with. And Wake Forest is – I can't think of a better example. It's one of the smallest schools in the country. Uh, they don't have a very big fan base. Most of their students, when they graduate, they go back to the Northeast. So there's there's not a lot of Wake Forest – not tons and tons of Wake Forest grads – that live in the Winston-Salem area, they uh, their attendance is usually not that great, but they find ways to win, and uh, they run unique systems, which helps. 
because it's, it's very hard to prepare for them sometimes. But uh, I, I can't think of a better example anywhere in America than than what they've done at Wake Forest. I mean, if, if you can win at Wake Forest, why can't you win here? Bingo. Well said. Well said. Kevin Higgins, thank you for watching the program. And Greenwood, Kevin Yancey's watching in Waynesboro. Good morning to you. Thank you for watching. Christopher Robertson watching the program right now outside Nashville. He says this. This is an interesting comment here from Mr. Robertson. Is there a point of the season where you see um, the coaching staff playing younger guys, in particular at the quarterback spot, to get them ready for next year? No one thinks Musket is the quarterback of the future. I think it depends on how the season goes. And if Tony Musket can't get it done, I, and I don't, I don't know. We haven't seen him enough to know. Uh, it, we, it may take a few games to figure it out if, if he's the guy or not. Uh, he's a very confident kid. And, again, we just don't know. We haven't seen enough of him. I haven't seen any film of his games at Monmouth. So we're learning about him week by week, just like the fans are. But if if it comes to a point where they can't win with him, if he can't move the team, if he can't put points on the board, I'm sure they will give Calandria a shot. And... uh God forbid he gets hurt, but if he does, then Calandria would be put in that position anyway. Um, but yeah, if, if if he can't move the football team, Calandria will get a shot. Behind Calandria, we don't know. There's there's nobody that really has any experience at all either. Uh, in fact, two of those kids, the Davis Lane kid moved wide receiver, and so is Delaney Crawford, who were vying for backup job so uh, I think he may still be learning the quarterback position just as an emergency but um, they better hope that these two guys stay healthy because Jerry you may end up taking oh snaps. man let's hope not let's hope not I'm five foot eight standing on the yellow pages over here um, Roger Voisinet the realtor with Remax the solar enthusiast and the Tesla enthusiast says hello from Smith Falls Ontario Wow. Watching the program from Ontario. He's Mr. Woolen Mills. He's vacationing with his beautiful wife in Ontario, literally as we speak, and watching the Jerry and Jerry show. Kevin Yancey says that NC State game is going to be a revenge game. Robert Anai is going to want to hang 100 points on this Virginia football program. Mr. Yancey Washington, Waynesboro. I, it's hard to argue with that. I think Robert Anai is very motivated, very motivated this year when he sees UVA on the schedule. Uh, he nailed it with his comment. There's no question about it. Robert, it's not just Robert Anai. It's Brennan Armstrong. Brennan Armstrong. Yeah. It's the Garrett 2J. He was Virginia's offensive line coach for throughout the Bronco era and last year under Tony Elliott. He's now the NC State offensive line coach. Uh, there's no question that Robert Anai is – if he can score 100 on Virginia, he, he probably would. <laughs> uh, he's a guy that doesn't mind uh, putting uh, – I don't think he'd call off the dogs if, if – I just, I just don't think he would. But uh, we'll see. I mean, um, he's got a point to prove. Uh, he left here with a uh, some bitterness. I, I know that – a lot of bitterness. A lot of bitterness. Yeah. There, there was some bitterness both ways. There were rumors that he was so upset 
the way things ended here with, with Bronco resigning. And I, I know personally that he screamed at Bronco when Bronco called the coaches together to inform them that he was stepping down and because uh, and I felt like he had brought them across the country and, and he did hung them out to dry. Yeah. And he was very bitter about that. There were some rumors that he was telling commitments to go somewhere else, uh, telling players who were here to go somewhere else, to transfer out. And uh, we were told that he was told to leave. I, I, I can't confirm that on the record, but I've heard from some pretty darn good sources. So uh, a lot of ill feelings toward Charlottesville, I think, for Robert and I. He would never admit that. He's a guy who keeps things close to his vest. Uh, but, yeah, if he can score 100 on Virginia, he probably will. One of my favorite columns you do is the scatter shooting column. I've been reading your scatter shooting column for 20-plus years. It's very you popular. Have- I used to, there was a guy in Waynesboro who, we, when we didn't deliver papers in Waynesboro, would drive to Charlottesville to pick up our papers the day scatter shooting came out just to read that column. The scatter shooting column is my favorite. Um, it includes a lot of one-hitters and tidbits from the notebook. Um, which is some of my favorite type of reporting and news. I love the one-hitters. The scatter shooting that's on jerryratcliffe.com from late last week had a lot, especially in the lead, to do with Notre Dame. And you made it very clear. In fact, I'll read your lead here. Scatter shooting around the ACC while wondering whose bright idea was it to give Notre Dame full voting privileges without the Irish committing to a full membership in the league. Notre Dame was pushing other ACC schools to add Cal and Stanford to expansion, a strong recommendation that did not have the legs. And you straight up said if the ACC falls, falls apart, Notre Dame has a lot of blame here. Absolutely. There's no question about it. That's all it would take is if Notre Dame committed to be a full-time member of the ACC, and I know they don't want to do that. They want to keep their independence. It's very precious to them. But things, college football is changing. And at some point, somewhere down the road, Notre Dame is going to have to join a conference. And the younger alumni want this to happen. That's what I've been told from yeah. some Notre Dame people, that they want to be part of a conference. They want to play for a conference championship. They want to have uh, regular rivals. Regular rivals. Yeah. They, w- they want their kids to be recognized for all conference. They, they want to be, have a player of the week. Uh, stuff like that. I mean, they have it in the other sports. They don't have it in football. That would stabilize the ACC beyond belief. It wouldn't completely uh, make up for the chasm in money uh, between the SEC and the Big Ten, but it would get the ACC a lot closer. It would keep the conference stable. It would probably keep Florida State from barking so much and threatening to leave the conference. Uh, I think it would try to. It would. It, it would. I don't. I'm not sure other leagues would try to raid the, the conference in the future. Uh, I, th- I think a lot of of that falls on Notre Dame, and you know they're. The ACC has been very good to Notre Dame, and it's been a, a pretty good relationship for, for both parties. Uh, I think probably better for Notre Dame than it has been for the ACC because they get uh, four or five regular opponents every year. 
that they can play and they rotate them around and still are able to play some of the independent schedule against Stanford and some of the other people that they love to play, Navy, every year. Um, but there are ways that if they would join the ACC, I think they could probably work it out to where they could, especially if the ACC adds Stanford, that would be a team that they could play most every year, uh, could play, still play Navy every year probably, and a couple of other opponents that they like to play, like Southern Cal or, or whoever. Um, but I, I think uh, I think Notre Dame's been pretty selfish about that. And the ACC, when COVID hit, and they had no, they didn't have a schedule because a lot of schools just weren't playing full schedules. They couldn't uh, they couldn't play the normal teams they like to play, and so the ACC let them in, let them compete for the ACC title that year. And they played in the ACC championship game and played in a bowl game because of that. So there's a lot of – they've gotten a lot of benefits from the ACC, and I, I think they should pony up and swallow their pride and join the ACC. I know, I know a lot of Notre Dame people are going to throw four-letter words at me about that, but that's the way I feel. I think that's the way most of the ACC is feeling now and are feeling a little miffed that Notre Dame doesn't step up and, and do something instead of trying to influence the conference to do what it thinks is best for the conference. Great take. Jerry Ratcliffe, guys. JerryRatcliffe.com, the website. What do you got in the uh, hopper? What kind of news is coming up on the website? Uh, well, we're going to be all over football for the next, well, from, football until, season <laughs> until December. So, uh, And certainly keeping our own basketball. Uh, writing some stuff about soccer. We'll have a couple of our interns, Clay Meeks, a high school kid over in Waynesboro who's a really bright kid, and, and Harry uh, Farley, uh, who's going to be the U- Cavalier Daily UVA football beat writer this year, of intern for us uh, in recent weeks and getting some experience. And uh, they want to be future journalists. Uh, they're doing previews of all of Virginia's opponents. We'll start running those soon. So uh, more scatter shooting, more podcasts, more everything. So we'll be throwing uh, the whole book at, at our readers and listeners out there. So I love it. I check love us it. out. I love his website, guys. JerryRackliff.com. I'll say again, JerryRackliff.com. We're on his website a few times every single day. He lined up the interview with Thomas Jones, an actor, one of the greatest football players in UVA history, a standout in the National Football League, a UVA graduate, and an all-around A-plus guy in Thomas Jones. Jerry Ratcliffe lined that interview up. Judah Wickhauer's the director. Thank you for working hard behind the scenes, Judah Wickhauer, a man with the plan hero. constantly. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we get to do the easy job. We get to talk about stuff what we like. Judah Wickhauer keeps us online, guys, and the show moving in the right direction. The I Love Seville show is up at 1230, which is in less than 45 minutes. We'll interview Natalie Massery, the CEO of the Chamber of Commerce, and retired Colonel Letty Bean, who will talk about the impact that the defense sector in the Central Virginia market, a $1.2 billion economic impact. For Jerry Ratcliffe and Judah Wickhauer, my name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody. It's awesome. Hootie.